Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs. Unfortunately, Danny Morang is not able to join me tonight. He is uh, not feeling well, so I hope he feels better soon. But I do have someone to join me and help me talk about what's been going on with the Blazers. And that is Eric Garcia Gunderson. Eric is a writer for AP and LeBron Wire. So happy to have you. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks, Tara. Thanks for having me. So... The other night, as the Blazers uh, were losing and going down to the New York Knicks on New Year's Day, um, I didn't really – I was realistic about the fact that they were going to be spending New Year's Eve in the Big Apple and playing a game the next morning. So I feel like I had a pretty realistic picture of what might happen. However, I did not expect them to get blown out by 24 so I asked myself, is this as low as things are going to get or is it going to get worse? <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on where the season goes from here? Well, um, I will say one thing, and this is not going to make anybody feel better, but the Knicks have been playing pretty good ball ever since Mike Miller became the head coach. You know, I think they were 500 coming into the game against the Blazers under their new coach, which um, is better than what Portland has put together throughout their whole season. So, um, you know, that may not make anybody feel better. But, yeah, it did feel like a low against the Knicks. I mean, the way that that team is put together, as good as their coach has been doing, as much better as they've been playing, I mean, that was awful. I mean, to see Lillard play the way he did, to see CJ play the way he did, I mean, really, it looked like Melo was the only one that, uh, which, you know, and then Whiteside also just got absolutely, um, completely outplayed by Mitchell Robinson, which was just, you know, I mean, it was awful it, 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 on all levels. Well, I, I think maybe what for me made it feel so bad too, was that it was coming off of blowing the 19 point lead in Phoenix. So I thought that they were going to be mad about that, mm -hmm. um, and come out and, and try to organize things. Like I said, you know, I realized that there were extenuating circumstances and things to be celebrated the night before. Um, right. But, but the, it's still the Knicks. You know, they're you probably going to stay up at least until midnight, right? Yeah. But, you know, you're right. I mean, it is the Knicks. It's still, you know, you have a right to be mad, you know, and and, and upset. I mean, I think it's it's totally understandable. And, uh, yeah, they totally had things to do the, the night before in New York City. You know, it's not often, you know, that they're – when they're on the NBA calendar that they end up in New York city on new year's Eve. But, uh, it was still surprising to me how poorly they played. Right. So they did, you know, bounce back in Washington against a team that has been like kind of surprisingly fun to watch mm -hmm. this, this season. I mean, I, I was not expecting them uh, much out of them. And I think they've been getting more wins than were expected. And so that was a nice, uh, that was a kind of a nice change of pace, but then back to Miami and again, Miami is a good team. So, um, I was actually feeling not too bad. It, on the one hand, I didn't feel too bad about that game in Miami because it was only an 11 point game and it felt like it could have been way, way worse. It felt like it was way, way worse at some points. Like they didn't even have CJ, you know, so like with just Damian Lillard, and whoever else was healthy enough to, like, actually get on the floor, you know, 
I guess what I'm leading up to is this season, it has been really hard to figure out how to watch this team. And as a writer, what's it been like for you to cover this team this season? Well, it's been it's been weird because um, on on the one level, you know, Hassan Whiteside puts up these, especially as an AP writer, you know, Hassan Whiteside puts up these massive numbers, you know, frequently a double double with at least 16 rebounds or something, especially in a lot of these games that I covered. And, you know, most times that's going to get in the first, you know, in the lead sentence of most stories about the game. Mm-hmm. And. You know, even, you know, there was the one game, I think, against the the Warriors when he had 23 rebounds where everyone was like, you know, everyone was talking about Whiteside. But, you know, there were other times where it was like, okay, well, he had a great stat line, but it was clearly not the number one reason everyone was talking about the game. And it's like, you know, it's just kind of a very weird uh, situation because it, it does feel like, at least with this team, that everyone knows that this is not the team. Mm -hmm. I think deep down, I think everyone really knows that. And, Mm -hmm. and I think it's just very weird for all of them. Mm -hmm. So when you say that, you know, as when you're, when you're covering it for the AP, do you mean that because when you're covering it for the AP, you're purely reporting on what happened in the game and you're not doing like the, the other stories that accompany, um, you know, the human interest stories or those kinds of stories that go along with it. Yeah. And kind of like also the fact that he just has such eye popping statistics. <laughs> and, you know, you know, I think that's also part of it is that his statistics are so always jumping out of the box score that you're always you're almost always going to lead with Hassan Whiteside. You know what I mean? And it's I feel like if you talk to any Blazer fan about what's going on with the team, you know, you talk to them about Whiteside stat lines and they'll be like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So like like. If you didn't put those in the lead, it would be everybody would be like, where are they? But then when you do put them in the lead, it's like people who have been watching carefully this whole year are like, well, yeah, he got, you know, 20 and 18, but they still lost and we're not sure how much it actually helped. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean with it is is that it's it's notable and it's a big deal. It's this very weird um, thing with him specifically and this team this year. Um, not to get too into Whiteside right off the bat, I guess. I, I, I Go guess. For it. I, okay. Well, it, I, it's just they very desperately need him mm-hmm. to get rebounds, and they're clearly a much better rebounding team when he's on the floor. But I don't know that he necessarily takes them to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting that you bring up rebounds because that's been kind of a hot topic on Twitter the last few days. Um, I noticed it the other day because one of the people that I follow, um, Ben Taylor, uh, tweeted out something on – it was last week. He said, one of my hopes for 2020 is that we can finally retire the idea that rebounds should be a top-line stat. And then after that, there were a lot of people who wanted in on that discussion. There were a lot of people who were, you know, defending the rebound as something like really critical because the way that you get the ball back from the other team is that you get a rebound. And then there were other people saying, well, but the game has changed and not all rebounds are created the same. So like, what are, what are your thoughts on rebounds? And like, you can tie it to Hassan Whiteside or we can go over that later. I'm just, I've had rebounds on my mind and I'm curious uh, what you think about them. Well, I think, okay, unless you're the Warriors with Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry, 
like just not having or like getting rebounds is you take it for granted until you don't get rebounds. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, unless you're the splash brothers, because like, that's the one team that stands out to me as the one team that really got away with never being a good rebounding team. Because the ball is always going in. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They're always making the shots. So it's like, of course there's going to be fewer rebounds, but you know, you look at the, um, you know, when you talk to me about this topic, before uh, we got on the show, I looked at all the – you look at the top 10 – you look at the top teams in terms of rebounding percentage. Number one, Philadelphia. Number two, Miami. Number three, Milwaukee. Four, Clippers. Five, Lakers. Six, Mavericks. Seven, Nuggets. Eight, Celtics. Nine, Jazz. I mean all of those teams are good. So obviously you have to be – you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. obviously rebounding is good. Mm-hmm. It, it helps your team. It, these teams are like – you know they're all different – types of teams but they're all good at rebounding and to me that matters a lot and portland i mean they're like case in point of like rebounding matters because their rebounding was top two offensively and then what top 10 defensively and still they you know they were great offensively and now they're not good at rebounding and they're just not as great offensively because they're losing those possessions mm-hmm yeah, one of the things that I was most concerned about, I guess, uh, one of the things that stood out after they made, you know, all the roster changes this summer is that, um, you know, they were losing Aminu and Harkless, um, you know, guys who didn't have gaudy rebounding numbers, but I could recall them making so many key rebounds and I was worried about who was going to replace them. And, you know, Hassan Whiteside comes in with a whole bunch of rebounds, but when, when I'm not as convinced that they are as helpful rebounds as those ones that like say Aminu and Harkless were getting. So what are your thoughts on the types of rebounds that we're seeing from Hassan? Well, I mean, some of them are just like, you know, he's, he's clearing the way and he's going to get those rebounds. But, you know, I, I think, you know, less so than me getting into the quality of the re- – you know, so a lot of times he gets like a putback and you know, it's very easy for him to put it back. But I think we can really just see the quality of the rebounds in the sense that Portland isn't a good rebounding team with Hassan Whiteside despite the fact that he is, you know, second in the NBA in rebounds. Mm-hmm. I mean the fact that they are not a good rebounding team is – He's a good – I think he's a good rebounder. Let, let me just put it like this. I think he's a good rebounder, but but I think the loss of rebounding the, that you described with losing good rebounders at all those positions that consistently play minutes, losing that, I think that cumulative effect has has been a lot bigger than I think maybe the Blazers assumed and that I assumed and I think also with not having Zach Collins. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I think is also big, but you know, they're just not a good rebounding team. I mean, I think Whiteside gets some rebounds that, you know, a very small percentage of guys in the NBA can get. Um, sometimes he can get, you know, I thought against the Lakers that he was actually, you know, doing some things where he was like, you know, really only Davis or Dwight Howard or maybe LeBron could get some of the rebounds he was getting in that game. And, uh, you know, I think he's he's extremely talented at rebounding, but I just don't think that this team is really built for him to um, 
I don't know. I, 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 he's just not, he can't do enough. I don't think you can't just rely on, on that alone. No, I, I, I don't think you can. And, you know, I think Lillard and McCollum, you know, they, they, they try hard on, but you know, uh, Tolliver and Hazonia are not particularly inspiring rebounders. Um, and, I, yeah, they ha- and and Melo's okay, but they, they just have a really tough time as as a group. And I and I don't know that um, a lot of this team knows how to play. Also, when Whiteside goes after the block, mm-hmm. and that and that also I think creates a lot of easier opportunities for the other team when Whiteside goes for the block and they don't get the rebound. Mm-hmm. And, I mean that that's a major killer. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about it because one of the things that uh, Ben Taylor you know, has talked about further is the idea of rebounds as a counting stat. Um, you know, being a major part of the box score pretty much always has been. It was one of the earliest stat lines that was kept. Um, and, you know, we look at it, you know, as, you know, it, it sits in the box score equal to everything else. So, like, it gives the appearance of being as important as everything else. Yeah, I mean, it's included in the triple-double. Right. Well, and I thought it was really interesting that when we, we were talking, when we first started this discussion about rebounding, you immediately went to rebounding percentage and not to the number of rebounds. Um you know, so you were like looking at the percentage of rebounds that of available rebounds that the team is able to get instead of you know individual rebounds that that people climb down. So you so you were looking at it um, in a more holistic way rather than like going straight to that box score, like how many rebounds does Hassan Whiteside get? And I was thinking about it in terms of the problem with the way they count rebounds is they count. Every single rebound, they don't count just the rebounds that end the other team's possession. Mm. You know, I was thinking like if they could re if they could review how they actually do that, because sometimes, you know, there'll be multiple rebounds because the ball is just bouncing around and it doesn't actually end the other team's possession because they get it back. So or am I wrong about that? Have you I don't I don't think I think I usually think it's a loose ball until the possession ends. Mm-hmm. So if the ball like goes off the rim and someone from the other team like tips it, they don't get credit for a rebound. I don't think until unless their team ends up with the ball. Like okay. the so so the box score person has some discretion, but I I do agree with the general point that. I guess for certain players, rebounds are very easy to come by. Mm-hmm. I guess there's the rebounds that fall into your hand and there's the rebounds that you go that actively end the play. That's what I'm kind of getting at. So like there's the rebound where people, you know, pile in and Anthony Simon soars over everybody from nowhere and like grabs the rebound and gets the ball back for the Blazers and heads around the other way. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of rebound. Then there's the rebound where somebody shoots from three misses and the other team has already hightailed it all the way back to the other end of the uh, of the floor. And so it just falls into the hand of whatever blazer is closest. And both, uh-huh. of, the, both of those count the same. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah yes, they do. So if you were to watch and like count the rebounds that like somebody actively like – because, you know, they got the rebound, it ended the other team's ability to have the ball at all. Uh-huh. As opposed to, like, just standing there and having it fall into your hands. 
anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I think I think another um, thing, and this, you know, Blazer fans will remember this from the Robin Lopez days, is is the you boxed out your guy. And you allowed a teammate of yours mm. to be free to get a rebound, mm-hmm. which because you is, cleared out because you yes, because your guy couldn't get around you and didn't beat you and you did your job. And and, and I think that's also an important element of rebounding that uh, needs to be considered. And I think, um, you know, I think Nurkic was was really good at that. And I think, you know, Whiteside. uh can be good at that, but he's just not always good at that. And I think really what Whiteside is great at is those really sky high rebounds that are tough contested rebounds. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he does a great job with those, but you know, I think sometimes he kind of lacks in um, creating an easier rebound for his teammates. He doesn't really do that. Okay. Well, you know, and the I don't want to feel like we're just like piling on Whiteside here, um, but he's the one who's getting the most. Um, but like I remember it took several years for the last version of the Blazers to work out how the Blaze how they were going to get rebounds. I mean, I remember back when Ed Davis was there, you know, Ed and Mo, Ed and Aminu, I, like these guys crashing into each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a couple of years for them to work out the rhythm about who's, who's it was going to be and like, where was everybody else on the floor? So they weren't crashing into each other. So I expected and am seeing this season quite a bit of crashing into each other under the basket again. So it's, I don't think it's all just on white side. Um, No, it's not all on him. And I, I think it's important to note that I think it's important to note that, the rebounding issues of this team are not all on him. And I think he's unfairly tasked with making them all, all the issues go away. And, Mm. and, and, and I think, okay, he gets paid a lot of money. Sure. But I, I, I don't think that he alone can really cover all of the gaps that this team has in terms of rebounding. Um, and, and, and I think he does, an admirable job at times, but he also, I think he has limitations. And I think the fact that he, you know, it's just kind of also just kind of what this team has become, unfortunately. And I, I just don't really know, um, you know, how, how to solve it really besides getting healthy. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is no, you know, backup center of size. (laughs) There's no no other tall person on there to come in when, when he's not on the floor. So that's that's really been an astounding uh, problem for them to work through is just the lack of I mean, they had so many <laughs> they had so many tall guys when the season started. <laughs> yeah, Not anymore. No. And, 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 you know, back to the point that I made, you know, I, I like I said, I, I have the stat, you know, just to about Whiteside, you know, I, I want to give him credit. You know, they're a better rebounding team when he has a floor. According to NBA.com, they get 50 0.4% of all available rebounds when he's on the floor. And basically his backup center as of late has been Anthony Tolliver, who when Tolliver's on the floor, the Blazers get 45.4% of available rebounds. So five percentage point drop off from when Whiteside's on the court to when Tolliver's on the court in terms of the available rebounds. Like this is not this, – this is not Whiteside. What I, this is just going to the point where the, Whiteside can't fix that. Right. That, that, that's that's something completely out of his control. And it's right. like, 
and I just do think that, you know, it's partially the limitations about this roster, but, uh, you know, I, and, you know, a small sample size, you know, they were a way better team with Zach Collins rebounding, mm-hmm. you know, with Zach Collins on the floor. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's really hard right now. They were already kind of treading water with Whiteside and Scal. And now that they have to do these, these Tolliver at center minutes and, and everything, it's just, it's just really, really hard to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this, with this roster, with, with, with this depth that they have. How long do you think that they, I mean, how, how long do they hang on like this? What are your thoughts in terms of just, I mean, I, I got to think that a taller person has got to, somebody who's played center before has, has got to be on their way. I mean, what are your thoughts on how the Blazers may uh, change the roster? Well, you know, I thought that that was going to happen, um, and and frankly, there, it seems like there should be no reason for it not to happen, other than perhaps Jody Allen and company that run the Blazers not wanting to go deeper into the luxury tax to add someone who could play center. I mean, I mean, that's to me that is that is the number one reason why they haven't done it is that. They are already the most expensive team in the league, and they are fifteen and twenty two. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's like, at what point does she start to see return on her investment? And um, but at the same time, it's like this team. It's you know, sports are not just a simple ROI situation. And this team needs a center. They need someone that can rebound because they are floundering right now, and they are getting absolutely killed in the minutes that Whiteside is not on the floor. And it's just, you know, I don't know if Joe Kim Noah, you know, there were rumors that he turned Portland down, but, um, you know, in the off season, but you know, it's different now, you know, Dwight Howard made his way onto the Lakers. I don't necessarily know if the Clippers are going to look to add someone, you know, maybe those big contender names are not going to be there that he maybe thought there would be, and maybe someone like Joe Kim Noah can come in and 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 fill in, or maybe a, a Tyler Zeller or a Miles Plumley. You know, there are a lot of guys who are centers who are available out there. Um, and to me, the number one thing that comes to mind is the cost. I just think that I just think that they are. You know, I I, I think partially that they're just kind of and because frankly, I think I t- I went on a Twitter rant about this after the uh, the Suns game. And that's just that they can't wait until the buyout market. I keep hearing people talk about the buyout market, and that's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that doesn't happen until when? Until like the end of February. March. <laughs> end of February and March. And it's like there are so many teams that are better than Portland by then. Mm-hmm. And it's like can Portland really afford to wait another six weeks before – they decide to add help when they clearly need it right now. I mean, they're being very mum about what the hell is going on with Scal. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't feel good. That doesn't sound good from everything that we've, you know, learned over the years about this Blazers team and the way that they, you know, it seems like they're really good at keeping bad news quiet under Neil Olshay. And uh, I I don't, you know... I don't feel very good about their chances of signing anybody that gets bought out. And so um, to me, the time to do something is now. But uh, 
it, it seems like they just they keep waiting for something. I mean, it's either cost or maybe they're waiting on making a move. And that's, you know, that's the other possibility. Right. Because they have two open spots right now. And they have a couple of guys who have a little bit more time, one of whom is a center, a couple guys who have a few more days anyway on their uh, two-way contract. So they could, you know, um, give Moses Brown some play for a little while longer before they have to make a decision on him. Um, But they saw – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I don't mean to besmirch Moses, but my man – he's a – the young man is not ready for this. I just don't think he's ready. I saw him come I mean, in. Are they going to get somebody with- who's ready who's going to like help them? I mean, really, at this point, anyway, like, do they want to get somebody who they legitimately want to go ahead and develop? Um, I mean, that's, but the veteran names that I mentioned are all guys that you don't have to make long term plans for, but have all played professional basketball in the NBA at some point in their career and know what they're doing, which Moses Brown, unfortunately, he does not like because he's a kid. And who he literally just showed up. And it's like, it's not, no one expected him to be playing this role. And so when I talk about the center position, I really do think that like, you know, maybe the scal thing is better than we think. And maybe there's a chance he's back by the end of this road trip. But if that's not happening, then they need, they should have signed someone yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, like, really, I, I, I just don't see... I, I it's really concerning. I mean, it's just really, you know, the, the, the amount of stress that they're putting on Whiteside is like pretty incredible. Right. Well, and then also, you know, by association, the stress on everybody else. You yeah. know, there, I, I just I feel like Whiteside is being asked to do a lot more than he's really capable of doing. I think, you know, he's capable yeah. of a lot of things, but he's not capable of carrying a team that wasn't expecting to be in this position right now. You know, he was supposed to be filling in long enough for Nurkic alongside, you know, Colin, Zach Collins, who could cover on defense, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's just. He's in a completely different, um, you know, role. I mean, he's still playing center, but the amount of weight that he's supposed to be carrying is so much. And it's also the same for guys like Hazonia and Tolliver. Like, yeah. you know, they were not meant to come and take, the, I don't think, maybe maybe they were, I don't know. But I don't think that they were going to be expected to play as big a role as they were going to have. I mean, now we're like regularly, we know when Tolliver, we know when Anthony Tolliver is going to come in yeah. and <laughs> play center. <laughs> for the Blazers for stretches of time. So that's that's a little wild. There's I I guess from a ter- from your perspective as a reporter, um I'm imagining this has been if nothing if not a, at least an interesting year to cover. I mean, it is interesting to have new faces in every game. I mean, um and have <laughs> new lineups you know, every game. Know, new lineups every game, a new starting lineup, uh a new bench scorer has a season high pretty much every game or whatever. When I was covering, you know, I think the Suns game, Gary Trent had 12 points in the first quarter or something, you know, and, and, and something happens and it's like, you know, th- these are interesting kind of wrinkles, but I mean, yeah, it, it is interesting to see these new faces, but it's also, um, it kind of, I do feel bad a little bit for Dame and CJ, right? just, wa- you know, after where they just were, to have the momentum just just absolutely hit a brick wall, mm-hmm. and 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 they're frustrated. I mean, the body language is just different, um, and I think, um, you know, they say all the right things about the whole team, but 
you know, they clearly just show it. You can clearly see how they actually feel mm-hmm. and it's just not great. And it's just like, it just, it's not great. It's just, it, it, it feels like that way with Dame and CJ and, you know, mellow bless his heart has like, is the only like thing of ray of sunshine on this entire team. The way this whole season has gone. I mean, really? <laughs> uh, Cause he's, cl- he's thankful to be there. He's happy to be there. I mean, he's not happy losing, but he's just, he's the only part of this team. That's just like not weighed down by, you know, expectation. Oh, that's a beautiful way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, that I can totally see that. Now, what? Tell, walk me through your thoughts uh, when Blazers signed Mello, when he came, what you were thinking it was going to be like, what it was like with the first time you know you were in the locker room with all of them. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, when the the first time it you know when 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 the the idea when the Woj bomb came across. I was ecstatic because I had just watched – I covered the uh, Dame 60-point game for the AP when they lost to the Nets and Hizonia smoked three layups in a row um, on one possession. Um, I, Tolliver was just – did not look good at all in those first couple of weeks. And I was just like, forget about it. Like let's just get a guy that – you know, at least other opposing NBA players have some level of high, not some level, a high level of respect. And, um, you know, aside from whatever else he was going to do, shooting efficiency or whatever, and he, I knew that he was a good rebounder and this team needed some help there. And he's doing a good job, but he can't just make up for everything. But I was, I thought it was going to be good. I thought if he's been better than I thought. Uh, I think... Someone asked me the week the weekend that he was signed, what did I expect? I think I said I expected 14 and 6, and I think he's at, let's see, um, where is he at? 16 and 6. So, you know, he's shooting, but, you know, um, I had I thought he was going to be good just because the Blazers didn't have enough guys, honestly, before they signed him that were just a threat to score a basket. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I know that, you know, obviously passing is important. They're, they're missing Nurkic. They're having a lot of aspects of their game that would be a lot better if they were a better passing team. But, you know, a defense's threat level is going to be always determined about, about whether someone can score. And 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 the fact that Melo can score, you know, even if he has the occasional cold night, you know, teams respect that. And, and, and I, I did anticipate that he was going to bring some level of competence mm-hmm. on the offensive end that they completely lacked. And, and I thought that these, some of these moves, I thought they were going to solve that problem and they did not. And, 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 and I think Mello has helped stabilize their offense. I mean, I think they were a bottom 10 and now they're in the top 10 offensively. Mm-hmm. The thing that I liked when Mello showed up is he had a reputation that people had to guard him 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, like you said, he was competent. He knew he was somebody who understood the game and you like, you didn't have to worry about whether or not he knew what he was doing. Cause at the time, you know, Naz little was coming on and I love Naz and I'm excited to see what's going to happen. But playing alongside Naz little, who is just stepping out onto the NBA court versus a guy who's been in there for, you know, umpteen years. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just like less on Damian Lillard's shoulders to mm-hmm. have to worry about like during a game. I, I mean, you got to imagine how much pressure he is going under. And when you think about, you know, how the Blazers have been for the last, they've been, they've been not only good, but also incredibly lucky the last several years. Um, you know, they've had the luck of health. They've had the luck of the draw and like luck means nothing if you're not prepared to capitalize on it. Right. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. that like it was just luck that got them where they were, but I'm saying as fans, we've been really lucky that things have been going really well. And this is really the first time in the Damian Lord era where they've, you know, really run into a pretty steep wall of adversity and i'm not concerned about whether or not they're gonna come through it i have like i don't know maybe it's irrational or maybe it makes <laughs> perfect sense you know faith in Damian Lillard. no i know i think the track record uh i think history is in your favor and and i i you know i was just on locked on blazers with mike richmond and he had me on and was like for Blazers optimism and, you know, maybe I'm up, you know, compared to a lot of other writers, but I do genuinely believe that they're going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nurkic, Nurkic is almost here. I don't mean to just, you know, I don't want to get the people too excited, but like it's close. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not that far away. And, um, you know, whatever happens outside of that, you know, I think that's that's a reason enough to get excited that that Nurkic is going to be playing, mm-hmm. you know, you know, potentially by the all star break, maybe a little bit after. Who knows? But he's going to play this season. And I think um, that's exciting. Right. Well, and I compare it. I, I remind myself in times like these that you know, it could be so much worse because despite how much, you know, how hard they're fighting to just like get from one game to the next being so depleted on the roster, they're not fighting. Their, their star is not, you know, not that we know of anyway, yelling and fighting with the front office. He's fine. He's fine. He's not, I mean, he's not fine. They're losing, but it's just like, right. He's He's not not being like Kevin Love is what I'm getting at. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's not Kevin Love. He's not, well, you know, Kevin Love's trying to come home. Right. You know, that's, (sighs) We'll That's talk really about what him it is. in a sec. Um, but you know, they've got they've got Nurk traveling with the team on the bench, just like emoting, you know, positive, you know, you know, vibes, I guess, uh, yeah. from the bench. Um, you know, Carmelo, you know, like you said, like he's just happy to be there playing. And whether or not, you know, when they're, you know, in a big hole against New York and you know, he's out there with a big smile on his face, you know. Like he at least isn't, you know, getting in a rage and getting, you know, distracted and, you know, they aren't distracting each other with their frustrations or whatever. They're they're continuing to maintain um, as a team, whereas in other places we've seen it gone south a whole lot faster. Yeah. And I think Melo is a great teammate. I mean. Uh, what great. was the night? What What was the night that? Uh, what was that game when? Oh, it was was Dwight Howard when Dwight Howard fouled Simons and and Mello, you yeah. know, 
yelled at the ref and was like, get the hell out of here. And was just like, got a T and was just like, mm-hmm. you know, they're protecting his young buck. And it was just like, you know, like he, I think really does embrace the role on this team of being like, Hey, like all these guys look up to me. Like basically every single guy on the Blazers roster grew up looking up to Carmelo Anthony, probably with the exception of Anthony Toller. Mm-hmm. And you know, like that matters. And, I, and he really does, I think relish, being a leader, he—I I think that's just an, a natural thing for him. But and I, but on, at the same time, I think at least from observation, he hasn't come in and tried to take over, um, which I really appreciate. And I think you know, Damian yeah. has a lot to work through in terms of like the long-term strategy for for this team. And Melo's the guy who right now is keeping them afloat, keeping them positive, sticking up for his players, and you know, doing maybe some of the. Um, you know, the rallying mm-hmm. while, you know, Dame is trying to like, what is the future of this team when like everybody is out and injured and I'm trying to figure out how to make plays um, with these guys who I didn't even play with last year. Um, so I think I've, I've really appreciated how Mello has, has come into that role. Um, one of the things that while I watched the Blazers this year, like, it was so easy with Scal because I absolutely just adored Scal and I was so crushed when he got injured. Um, but I was watching his development. I was watching like Scal be like, oh, I'm going to make a bounce pass through traffic and then he would do it and it would be successful. So then he would do it again and, you know, he would gain some confidence and he'd pick up like one more extra play here or he'd like pick up one little thing and you'd see him develop. What are some of the things that you are looking at for in development of some of the young players? Because, you, I mean, Anthony is, you know, he's going to be getting minutes. How do we gauge whether or not he's improving and how he's helping the team out? Well, uh, I, I think one of the areas that I've very much been impressed with Anthony over the last two or three weeks, probably two weeks, has been his uh, his patience in attacking the rim. I feel like earlier in the season he was really attacking the rim with a full head of steam and just kind of going downhill, and which is great. I think it's a great start, but I think a lot of times he was kind of not in control. And I think one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks that I think I would like to see continue to develop is his ability to kind of use angles, use his body to kind of contort his body to, you know, get an angle with a layup around the rim, you know, doesn't have to go, isn't trying to finish over somebody all the time, um, you know, because we know that he has that athleticism where he can, just as the other night against Miami, he can, he can dunk on big guys, but you know, what you really want to see is him taking better angles and just kind of having a little bit more patience and kind of reading the defense and seeing the game slow down for him a little bit more. Um, I, I, personally, that's what I think I've, I want to see more of. And I mean, every time I think we have seen it. And then, you know, Gary Trent uh, is another guy that I think, you know, to keep an eye on, um, you know, what's he doing? You know, he's been shooting the three. Well, what's he doing when guys close out on him? Is he doing something good off the dribble? He's had a couple of good finishes on drives, a couple of good pull-ups, but you want to see him do that consistently. And then, excuse me, with Nas, uh, you know, you just want to see him 
uh, move without the ball. You kind of want to see him just kind of move the ball, move without the ball, play good defense, rebound his position well. I think you can't really – I don't want to ask too much of him. You know what I mean? I think his best, useful, most useful asset is his energy, and you just hope that maybe he can hit a corner three. Um, or get a but dunk. You don't, yeah, a corner three and a dunk from time to time. But you don't want him doing too much more than that. We're not going to be like calling for the ISO, you know, Nas or a pick and roll for Nas mm-hmm. unless he's screening. What do you think of Anthony's playmaking? Because at the beginning of the year, I mean, you know, they they didn't sign a backup point guard. And, um, you know, we were wondering, are they going to go back to staggering Damon CJ? Some people thought, no, this means that they're handing Anthony to ball, the ball to actually run the second unit. Tell me what you think about what you've seen about his playmaking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely needs some work. I mean, I, but I think it's also, um, you know, the fact that he has kind of some low assist totals is also, I think, a based on the fact of who he's playing with. I mean, he's out on the yeah. court with he's out on the court with Tolliver and Hazonia and and Nas and Scal and you know that's who he's got to work with. And it's like you know, okay, you know, CJ's out there too, but it's like you know. When Nas is out there, he's there to – or not Nas. When Anthony's out there, he's there to take a lo- – to be the scoring engine for that second unit mm-hmm. more so than – and obviously you'd like to see him get that playmaking. But I think um, this team needs him to score on that unit and I think that is his priority number one. And I think um, this is just kind of how I think about the game and you know a lot of people might disagree. But I think – if he can establish the fact that he's a reliable scorer in the NBA, assists will be easier because then the defense has to, the defense will pay extra attention to you when you're driving the lane. They will crash at you harder. They will pay more attention to you when you're coming off of screens. They will pay more attention to you if you're a threat to score. And so I think, you know, obviously I would love for him to be moving the ball like Luca, but he's, you know, he's not Luca. And so, um, you know, I, I like the way he gets to the rack. I like the way he shoots. I just think, um, you know, I think the playmaking will come once defenses start to kind of respect him more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I expected that when CJ was out, that Anthony was going to start, but then we were reminded that, you know, um, Stotts doesn't like to mix up the rotations, so he inserted Gary Trent Jr. into the starting lineup so that Anthony could maintain, you know, that second unit. Threw that whole plan out the window in the second half mm-hmm. and started Anthony. Man, he's so fun to watch. He's just a beautiful player. It's you know, yeah. CJ is kind of like that too. Like I like watching both of those guys play. They have some moves that are just. Like Damien is like a just a power. He you know, his to me, his game just looks like power moving through the court. Mm-hmm. And CJ and Anthony too just look a lot more sm- silky and kind of like water to me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think that's a uh yeah, Dame is kinda like a bull. Mm-hmm. You know, he you know, he kinda just like, yeah, there's a lot of power, there's a lot of ferocity. Mm-hmm. in in dame's game uh and i i do agree that there is something uh aesthetically more liberating watching cj <laughs> or ant uh yeah. just because they're 
they make it look more natural. I feel like Dame's is Dame's game, you know, it looks more like the product of really, really hard work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, not to say that Ant and CJ's games are not, obviously. Mm-hmm. When you uh, look back on the game in Miami, which was your favorite, the Amfer- the Anthony slam dunk or the alley-oop? <laughs> I can't decide. <laughs> Oh man, I probably the the ant the ant dunk. I mean, I mean that the the one over Myers that was pretty good. I mean, not not you know, shout out to Myers. Um, obviously, we love Myers, but that that was that was a pretty sweet dunk that he had. Uh, I hope they put him in the dunk contest. That would be so much fun. But the thing about the dunk contest is they like bring all those props, and it's like they they. I just want them to get back to pure dunks. Is that old? Is that like am I an old lady for saying that? No, uh, I mean, I, I feel that way sometimes too. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, uh, what was it? The there was Aaron the, Gordon, the drone. Right. Oh, that or was the hoverboard like, yeah, or the and, airplane. Yeah. The, the, there are a lot of like, Hey guys, like you guys, like, I mean, guys are more athletic now than they ever were, mm-hmm. you know, back, you know, it'd be cool to see them just do some re- regular dunks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess. You know, I, I want to see Ant there, though, because, you know, I feel like they, they need a guy who I, I want a younger guy because, you know, it sounds like they're going to have Dwight Howard. Um, oh. They they invited Zach Levine and they invited Aaron Gordon, I think. But and they invited Derek Jones Jr. So, you know, all those guys have been in the dunk contest before, you know, like three or four times. Derek Jones Jr. already had last night or Miami, the Miami. That's enough. <laughs> The game yeah, exactly. that he put on against the Trailblazers was like, oh, God, that was painful. So he's already had his moment to shine with all his dunks. He's he's done with the dunks. I thought that um, the thing about the alley-oop is it's been really rough this year. I just have this rule that, like, nobody over, like, 27 should be involved in an alley-oop this year because they just are not working. There's just been so many, like, mistimed or, like – Dame often throws it like not directly over the hoop so they can just bring it down, but like over so they have to grab it and then bring it over. And I'm just like, I don't want to see any more. But that one was perfect. That was I want to see more of the one that they that Dame threw to Anthony Simons. I thought that was perfect. Yeah, I I, I would love to see more of that if they, you know, if they can expand the the alley-oops outside of Mellow, because it seems like Mellow before that one was the only guy putting down alley-oops. Yeah, that's true. Well, before we go, you know, rumors season is heating up and we talked about it a little bit earlier. We talked about Kevin Love. So where do you sit on the uh, possible Kevin Love to Portland trade? Well, I mean, I think it would be a great idea. Um, I really don't see unless, I mean, obviously – Trading CJ, not a great idea. But if it's an expiring, say, Gary Trent Jr. and a protected first-round pick. You're sending a first-round pick for Kevin Love? A protected first-round pick, sure. How protected? Yeah, top 20. So if you have a good run into the top of the – into, you know, seven or something, maybe you avoid giving the pick to them. I don't know. I mean, I I, – why not? I I, I don't see why – I don't see the exact the drawback of of doing that. 
especially with what you get out of it in the fact that you get a great passer, a really good shooter at his position, a guy who has been the first option and the third option. You know, I, I don't know. How do you see the Blazers dealing with the expense of adding Kevin Love? Are you thinking that CJ would eventually no longer be here? I mean, how can they just afford that? Well, I mean, the Allens have a lot of money. I mean, I, I, that's that's how. <laughs> I mean, frankly. They just I go mean, over and get everybody else on minimum contracts. Well, no, they don't have to get everybody else on minimum contracts. It's like they have bird rights. They have Nurkic. They have Zach Collins. I mean, they don't have to sign all their guys that are currently on rookie deals to minimum contracts. They would just go deeper into the luxury tax, which – is not really my problem. (laughs) (laughs) So next year they would have $92 million wrapped up in Kevin Love, Damian Lord and CJ McCollum, and they'd all be over 30. Um, And they would have given up their first round pick, which, you know, is maybe going to be like, you know, because this team's going to make the playoffs. Okay. You know, I, you know, I think they're going to make the playoffs whether, you know, when Nurk, Nurk gets back or if they trade for Kevin Love or not, like if they have Nurk, Dame and CJ for six weeks, they're going to make the playoffs. So how do you in, see in my opinion? So so the basketball fit, how do you see that working? So you, I, he, you know, him playing the four. Uh, stretching the floor because we know he can, can hit threes because who can possibly forget him scoring what 34 or 37 against the play? Uh, yeah, in a quarter. Oh, god, that was the most hideous thing. <laughs> um, so he's obviously a shooter, he's obviously going to uh command a uh a defender. Um, but what about his ability to play defense? I don't think that he is a bad defender. Um, I think he's a very smart defender. I think he is a very good team defender. I think he's good at communicating. I did, you know, uh, for my first year at LeBron Wire, I was covering the Cavs in LeBron's last year there. And so I watched every single one of Kevin Love's games for that entire season. And I was not at all like bothered by his defense. Obviously, in certain situations, it you know he he could be taken advantage of with his slow feet. But he's a really good communicator. He is a great rebounder. He knows where the ball is going to be. He can box his guy out. I think he's not a liability. Is basically what I mean to say. And and I think in certain situations, he can even be a really good defender. It, it, it's just like you know I I don't I think that he gets an unfair rap as a bad defender for various reasons. Does he play alongside Nurkic and Zach Collins goes back to coming off the bench? How do you see that working out? I mean, I would do that. Uh-huh. Why not? I mean, what what is Zach Collins going to say? No, I'm not going to play behind a all-star NBA champion, uh, you know, guy who averaged 20 and 10 in this league. I just like I, I mean I, I just don't I like if Zach's gonna have an issue with that then like I don't you know I I just don't see it like I feel like it's a little bit of the mellow effect if he comes in where it's like guys respect him automatically yeah 
I just see the Blazers for long-term development purposes wanting to see Collins alongside Nurkic. You know. No, that no, that's a great point. And and obviously that's been written about how you know Olshay wants that to be the vision. Mm-hmm. I, I mean there are ways that you can work around that. Obviously, if Love's gonna be here, he's gonna want to start, but I I don't think that you can, you know, if you're trying to win a championship, those are kind of the problems that you kind of have to have. Too many good players to choose from. Yeah, like like what? Like at what point? Like we just got I can't through wait this, till that day happens, right? Because we just we we just went through this whole off season where they all just told us, you know, Stotts, Dame, Olshay, everybody, that this team was the most talented team that they had ever had, and it's clearly not that. <laughs> and and it's like you know, would be great to have the day where they actually do have too much talent. And so it's just like for me, it's just like. Who cares about the long-term development play? Dame is about to be 30. CJ is about to be 29. Like, at what point do you just say forget about it and just try to win a championship? Well, I don't think you ever can just completely forget about it because, like, the well, it's, mark of a good franchise is that they have players coming up behind to replace other ones. I mean, that's – I, 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 I get that, but you don't – if you're getting Kevin Love, you're not actually sacrificing long-term – flexibility or the ability to develop to develop your players in my opinion obviously they wanted collins to be that guy this year and you know maybe down the line if collins is so good maybe you have to think about trading love you know when he has fewer years left on his deal but that's a problem that you get to when you cross the road i mean when you get to that corner i mean you mm-hmm. you should not be thinking about that Especially with the way this season has gone. And it's like, I'm, you know, like, yes, good franchises have that. And Portland has played this, you know, parallel timelines, you know, for ever since Olshay has been here. But at some point you owe it to Dame and C- you owe it to Dame more than anyone. But you also owe it to CJ to just go for it mm-hmm. and a- to actually really give yourself a chance because they haven't done that. They haven't actually given themselves a real chance to really be a contender. And that's what I think the love trade does is it actually gives them that chance to be a contender next year. Once Nurkic is back and Collins is back and hood is back. Yeah. And it maybe it gives them a chance to win a first round series against Houston or Denver or someone like that. If they get lucky, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the pipe dream for this season is maybe they get a lucky draw in the first round and they can win a series, but like, excuse me. No, go ahead. No, it, like, like say, say Oklahoma City slows down. They, you know, they they cool off this real heater that they've been on. They come back down to earth. Seven becomes more attainable. Portland gets to seven, and they get someone who's not the Lakers or the Clippers. Uh-huh. And it looks like the Clippers are not going to be anywhere near two, the way they've been playing. So, to me, it's like it's either Denver, who you just beat, the Rockets, Utah. You know, like th- there are teams, I- unless you're playing the L.A. teams, that to me, if I'm Portland, I would feel really good about playing against if I have Kevin Love, CJ, and Nurkic. Because mm-hmm. I- I- I'm not counting on Zach Collins being back this year. Okay. Well, it's all certainly, um, again, been very interesting. My My whole stance on the whole thing is that, like, I don't want to get too wrapped up in um, – somebody before they even get to the team. So 
if Kevin Loves comes, I will, you know, welcome him. But I don't have any opinion on whether or not I think he's the right move for the team because that is way above my my pay scale. There's a few other folks who have been mentioned and it's always it's always the big names and it's never the big names that actually come to Portland. <laughs> it's, it's always like the big names are there in the news and then somebody else entirely is the person who actually, you know, ends up uh, getting traded or whatever. So, um, you know, Andre Drummond is in the news a bunch um, as somebody who is potentially available. LaMarcus Aldridge has been uh, somebody who's been connected with Portland, as has Blake Griffin. Now, Blake Griffin looks like it's possible that he may be having season-ending surgery. I believe I read that earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's considering it. That's what uh, Chris Haynes reported today. Are your thoughts on Drummond or LaMarcus? Um, to me, LaMarcus is going back in time. Uh, no sense to me in going there. I don't, I don't see the fit. And I think I had this conversation with uh, one of my AP colleagues, Joe Henderson, at one of the games. We were talking about LaMarcus, and we were envisioning – where does Nurkic like to play when he's in the Blazers lineup? He likes to play at that free throw line extended. He makes a lot of plays from there, you know, from that like high elbow area. And that's exactly where LaMarcus loves to play. And, and, and to me, I don't see the fit there. And so that's one aspect. The Griffin thing, I think the injury speaks for itself. Um, and then – yeah, I, in Drummond, he he plays the same position as Nurkic. So I, to me, that one, I'm not. Neither one of them is going to want to be the backup. And at least, you know, I, I think if you got a power forward and they play while Collins is out, whoever that power forward may be, it's a little bit easier to make the sell to Collins. Like, hey, come off the bench, you know, or whatever. Than it is if Nurkic, if you get a center and Nurkic is back in three weeks or whatever, he's back in. You know, if he's back then. You know, then I feel like you've got a way more awkward situation on your hands. If you had a magic wand and uh, were able to make any reasonable, like you can't bring LeBron or Anthony Davis to the team, um, you know, is, is Kevin Love your person you think is the perfect fit, or who do you think would be the perfect, reasonable, um, uh, reasonably attainable fit for Portland? I think, in terms of what you have to give up. Um, I think love is the, is the fit to me. Um, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me. I know there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, pent up feelings from people that went to high school in the Portland area in the, in the, in the, uh, three rivers league that, you know, may have played against Kevin love. And he was a little mean cause they ran up the score on them when they were in high school. You know, I'm sorry to all of you who are, are feeling those feelings again, but like, I mean, he gets paid a lot. Sure. But like, Portland has always been at the top of the league, if not at the top with salary. And if you're going to actually pay that salary to have a player that actually makes your team better compared to now where you're paying money for a 15 and 22 team that looks nowhere near even a, a you know, a winning team, not not let alone a, a contender. I mean, to me, it it just makes a lot of sense because he can shoot and and to me he can shoot and he can pass and to me the defensive you know this team is already they've taken several steps back from where they were offensively i think the defense can figure itself out if they can get back to being an elite offensive team like they used to be and 
I think love makes them that. And I think it makes them a more feared offensive team than they ever were in the playoffs with all the other forwards that they had before as you know, as much as they need them now, I think if you went into a playoff series with love CJ Dame and Nurk, uh, you know, that would cause a lot of problems. And, and, and I don't think any Portland team has ever posed that many problems offensively to anybody since, you know, the team with Lopez and LaMarcus and Batum and, and all those guys, you know, I, I don't think they've had a team that is that quality offensively. And I think that's what love would do. I, I, as Dan's co-host, I feel obligated to say I know. that, that I, I was, whole yeah. thing should just shoot it into the moon. That's what yeah. Dan would say if he was here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, uh, for me, I just, I just I'm going to wait and see what happens because there's nothing that I can say that's going to change anything about what is going to happen. Um, and I have complete faith that it will all come together at some point, but it's going to be a while. I think it's kind of it's like, you know, when the weather's been really nice and then all of a sudden you're like in weeks and weeks of rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're sort of in the middle of that right now. And it looks like it's going to be a while till it clears up. Um, but, you know, spring is coming. Nurkic is coming. And, um, you know, the last That's time. That's the one thing Nurkic, we could definitely say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the last time Nurkic joined the team, you know, in February, things turned out pretty well for them and you know i think there's a lot more gaps this time i mean there's also going to be one whole you know if the blazers get kevin love there's still another roster spot available whether or not somebody comes back with kevin as well or they go somewhere else to fill up um you know to shore up using some other you know um some other option i don't know but I'm guessing this team is going to look different, um, you know, by the end of February with that. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, mathematically and also yeah, from what we, what, what we know about Portland as a market and all the, you know, the stuff that we hear, even from old Shea himself, it's like, this team isn't going to let that cap space just turn into cap space. Mm-hmm. Like I, there, it's just not going to happen. I don't think so. Um, I, I want to know what, you know, gem he's going to uncover, you know, what like Maurice Harkless or Alpha Camino or Ed Davis, you know, what, what guy that like we go, who, um, <laughs> that, I mean, the guy, she found. the guy, the guy, I mean, this is, I mean, okay. It's not really a pipe dream, but it's like, I used to cover, I covered the Cavs very closely for a year. And so I became enamored with this guy. If they could somehow finagle Jetty Osman along with Kevin Love, that would – I would be over the moon. Like because he's a wing. He's like 6'9". He can handle it a little bit. He he has good instincts. I mean he's not going to be a star player, but he would be a player of use at a position of need. And uh, I would – and he's a young player. And so I, you know, that would be a guy I would love to get. Obviously – you know, Tristan Thompson has been a name that's been thrown around, but that would, you know, you'd have to th- throw Bazemore in there as well if you're going to try and get Tristan Thompson. Mm-hmm. It would just be so perfectly Blazers that after all of this talk about like all of the big names that it does end up being Chetty Osman. 
Like, yeah, right. Yeah. For, you know, Naz Little or something like that. That's that would just be so uh, much how things have gone. Well, I've taken up enough of your time this evening. I thank you so much for joining me. And, you know, we wish that uh, hope Dan feels better soon. Yes. But I really appreciate you uh, coming on and filling in. You want to tell folks? I'm sure my love. I'm sure my love, love is sorry. Sorry. I'm sure my love, love is going to make Dan feel way better. Shoot it into the moon. How did I do? You did, did a good like job. Him? You did, did a good sound, job. Yeah, like but you, you, you okay. can catch me on Twitter at Eric underscore Gunderson, E-R-I-K-G-U-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. You can catch me also at LeBronWire.USAToday.com where we're covering LeBron James, Lakers, and all NBA stuff. We're also going to be covering Yusuf Nurkic when, you know, he's a clutch sports athlete. So we'll be, you know, covering that as well. So uh, that's where you can find me. Ooh, that's cool. Is that real? Yeah, no, I'm, you know, yeah, when when there's actual NERC news, we'll cover it. Oh, right on. Well, I um, can be found at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can find the Blazers Edge podcast at Blazers Edge. You can subscribe to Blazers Edge podcast in any podcast feed. And hey, guess what? We are getting to the time of year where it's time to start reminding folks about Blazers Edge Night. So, uh, Eric, have you been to any of the Blazers Edge Night events before? No, you know, I, I, I support it. I I've donated to it before and I love Blazers edge night. I think it's a great event. Um, you know, I've never been up, you know, with the, been at the event, but I, I do, it's one of the great things on the, the, the Blazers calendar every year. Right. So we're going to start sharing links to buy tickets for Blazers Edge Night that you can donate to kids who maybe have never been to a Blazer game or who maybe like their families can't get them there. So we've got whole teachers full of classrooms full of kids who want to reward their students for having a good year. And we need our listeners help to do that. So follow the link at the bottom of the post to see how you can purchase tickets for Blazers Edge Night. Um, On behalf of Dan, who we hope feels better. Um, And on behalf of Eric Gunderson, thank you for joining us. This is Tara. Thanks. And we will catch you later. All right. Well, it's time for us to all get to uh, The The Bachelor.